Welcome to Inequality Talks, a podcast by Mindfuckly Samvirke. We are here in Aarhus. Uh, I'm Amanda, and I'm here with... Elise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at me like, yeah. I should That's say my you. name. Um, and today we're going to talk about the relationship between work time and health behavior. Mm. Yeah, and right now we're at the cafe at Mindfuckly Samvirke in Aarhus. It's a strange day, it's the US election. How are you yeah. feeling, Elise? Oh, I feel like all of my intestines are balled up in a knot. Like, yeah. Just super uncomfortable. We don't know yet what the no, results are. No, we don't are, know so. yet. We'll cross our fingers for the best. Mm. Yeah. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm from the US. My family lives there. Yeah, we have a big family. So I'm the fourth of five. And um, yeah, I was just studying my... A master's degree in Vienna and I'm living in Denmark now with my boyfriend Tura and we are living in a in a big collective of eight people. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. sounds nice. So uh, as we said today we're going to talk about the social ecological critique of work and how work time relates to our health behavior. Could you tell me a bit more about why you chose to write on this topic? Yeah, um, I think the first conversation that we should have is what is work time? Because, yeah. of course, you need to operationalize it in a statistical analysis, mm. which is what I have done. Um, so work time in the study is defined as all of the paid and unpaid hours worked using the average of the last four weeks. Yeah, through employment. So through contractual obligation so that's relevant for my study but yeah. for the critique of work discussion which um, is way more interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> well the definition of work kind of extends far beyond the actual hours worked since we live in a work-centered society so work to me also includes all the time we spend thinking about work commuting to work applying to jobs stressing about jobs talking about yeah. jobs um And yeah, so it's much more than just, you know, like clocking in nine to five. and Yeah, yeah. work can seem like the center of the world yeah, nowadays. Unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk about is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but what are your personal relationship with work? Have you had any bad experiences since you gotten into this field of yeah. how it affects your life? Yeah, you could say that's probably the heart of it. (laughs) So like the academic discussion is interesting, but it is really personal because I've just had really awful experience with regards to my relationship with my employer. Um, This kind of like unwarranted loyalty. So like basically this thought that we should be thankful to have a job and because we've been gifted this opportunity of a job that we should be dedicating our heart and souls to our work and and bending over backwards to please our employers. That's been my experience anyway. Um, And I come from the U.S., so this is a huge problem among people my age because we 
graduate college with this enormous student debt and then no job prospects so we're basically taking all these unpaid internships yeah and like fighting for these unpaid internships and then supposed to be super grateful when we get a job so so this yeah this weird relationship with uh, your employer not to mention this imbalance of power between employers and employees because well ignoring labor unions the only bargaining power that employees have is the right to say i'm leaving in in what other relationships is that acceptable is that like a i'm only going to respect you because you might leave me you know if that was my relationship with my boyfriend yeah (laughs) you know healthy no it wouldn't be healthy right so um so yeah it's this imbalance of power that i that doesn't sit well with me um and this undemocratic organization of work this like vertical hierarchy of organization where where there really is no accountability for people in in charge and just to give you an example um i work for this chinese company where i taught english online and this is the problem with remote work in general is that there's no accountability because everything is decentralized so if there's a complaint first of all it's impossible to reach them so when i worked for this company in the beginning there used to be a phone number but they took it down so there's actually no way to even reach a person um so yeah there's no way to hold employers accountable but at the same time there's also no way to organize so if there are other people that have the same complaints as me i don't know the only way i could uh reach any other people working for this company was through the facebook page that guess what was run by Mm. the employer so you know so yeah the relationship to the employer that's been my issue but then also just the relationship i have to the work itself First of all, the trade-off between work time and leisure, um, which is kind of the most obvious disadvantage to long working hours. And then at the same time, we're also expected to give so much of ourselves when we are working. There's this term emotional alienation or emotional labor. Like sort of how it tires you out to be smiling all the time throughout the day, even though people are really really mean to you like sitting behind the cashier and like people just really being awful and you have to smile and still be like in like in the service business I guess like that's the biggest problem that you have to show so much emotion is part of your job to be nice and smiling all the time but Mm -hmm. that's super draining and not Mm -hmm. natural at all and also you can't really express the disrespect you're experiencing Yeah, yeah yeah totally I'm I get a sense that you've experienced yes, this. <laughs> I have experienced this. I used to sit behind the cashier, actually. And that's why that was my example. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times people would just have a really bad day and it would be my fault all the time. But especially <laughs> once this lady came with like an um, advertisement of a product that we mm-hmm. should be selling. But we apparently didn't have the product. <gasps> Shit. Amanda. Yes. Horrible day. <laughs> And she was really worked up about us not having this product. And I was like, I have absolutely no power. I don't even, like, I'm not even the manager of the store. I'm just here as a, like, I was 16. I have absolutely no influence on what products we do have or don't have. It's not me who didn't order it. And I had to still smile and be respectful. But she was so mean to me. And I was like, that's not okay. I've been working so many customer service jobs and it's... 
you just get shit on so frequently. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about the bureaucracy bureaucracy of of work yeah. organization and how um and i kind of alluded to this earlier with the this decentralization of of accountability but yeah exactly like people expect that you're the person um that they should address because you're the face of the company yeah. to them but you know you're probably making minimum wage and there's such a long way between the people at the front desk and the people actually making the decisions but it, mm-hmm. you have to take the shit yeah and that's oh, a, yeah, yeah you really do and it's not worth it because like no. it's so exhausting it's like emotionally draining for one yeah. but at the same time you really you you really lose some dignity too i was working so many customer service jobs and you know people would say some really sexist things that are just not okay to say and stuff that i would never accept outside of yeah. work you know i would never allow someone to say that to me without um you know some verbal repercussions or something yeah. but you know you're forced to take all of that in and and that really takes a toll on not just your like emotional yeah. energy level but also just you know how you feel about yeah. yourself and um Like airline flight attendants are the perfect example of this. Yeah, Yeah, they have to go through a lot. Yeah, and And also look good too. Yeah. Like that's another ridiculous expectation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Actually, I don't remember exactly the story, but my stepmom, Meg, told me that flight attendants either this was someone she knew or Mm. something she had heard, but when flight attendants are really pissed off at, at a passenger, then when they go to collect the trash, they'll hold out their hand and say, you're trash. <laughs> like, in other words, you're yeah. trash, give it to me. But yeah. the subtext is, I think you are trash. <laughs> but that's also insane that that's the only way you can actually, like, right. uh, vocalize yeah. how disrespected you feel yeah. after such an experience. Like, yeah. we find these little ways to yeah. somehow release our our attention. Yeah, spit in someone's coffee yeah. or something. <laughs> I've never done that. No, but me neither. <laughs> I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but we have to find these little ways of like coping with everyday work and that that's a sign that something's not right, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely not how it should work. I had this example (laughs) that I found the other day that I really wanted to read for you um, about this emotional alienation because I really resonated with it (laughs) and we were talking about yeah my personal experience with work and I just this one really spoke to me so I wanted to share it is that okay yes please do okay so I hope that no one working at the Radisson Red Hotel in Aarhus hears this (laughs) but I came across this um this job posting which made me barf okay calling all night owls can you be our guest's superhero is guest service your ultimate passion then why not come and join us at the Radisson Red Hotel Aarhus to make every moment matter? We are now looking for night receptionists for our brand new hotel. Our, this is where it gets good. We do things differently. We don't have staff, in quotes. We have creatives, in quotes. You don't report to a, quote, manager. You report to a, quote, lead. So be prepared to come as you are, wear a big smile, of course, and become the one who greets our guests like no other, where our guests receive the perfect welcome. Goddamn. 
Like, yeah. what are they expecting? Like, <laughs> but it's also they expecting this sort of superhuman and come as you are. Like, they yeah. don't mean that. No, they just mean bring us the personality traits that will that will please our customers and bring us in money. You yes, know? the stuff like, we can use. They don't use. mean that. No, they don't mean come as you are. Also, the idea of like all jobs would be your ultimate passion. That's not the way yeah. life works, especially not being like a receptionist at a hotel. It might probably not be a lot of people's super passion mm. like there is this sort of expectation of all jobs having to be an ultimate passion but mm. maybe that's not the way life works yeah that's a product of this work-centered society yeah. and us overvaluing work and and um equating work with moral i know a lot of people whose source of unhappiness comes from their um, unmet expectations with work because they feel like my work doesn't represent my identity or my work doesn't fulfill me or I'm embarrassed by my work and it's just it's a really sad consequence of this obsession with work because it shouldn't have to be your passion it shouldn't have no. to be your identity and in most cases it isn't and um, it's just leading to a lot of unnecessary unwell feelings yeah there's this really unhealthy thought of like you are your job like i ask you mm. what do you do and you answer with your job yeah so exactly. it's like one-to-one -one what your identity is but not a lot of people have jobs where this matches and i think yeah that's mm. a really big source to so much unhappiness and mm. It's a really unhealthy culture in the long run. Yeah. yeah. I always try to, like, when people ask, what do you do? I try not to be, like, too edgy about it, but yeah. also say, well, right now I do this, but I also... <laughs> I try to bring in my identity yeah. outside of work. And yeah, but also when people ask you, like, what do you do? I don't mean what you do by job, but what you like, what do you do? Who are you? Then people get really, like... What? I can get even like, what do you do besides studying or something? I'm like, oh, uh, hang out with you. friends and uh, <laughs> read a book or... Yeah. Yeah, I get really like, what? Well, what would you do with more time, you think? Well, I think I would definitely do a lot of things more slowly. Just mm. like having more time to do small stuff and reading more mm. outside of what I just should read for studies, but also just fictional books really. Mm. That's good for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like having more time to spend, like usually you can have really short appointments with friends, like having a coffee for two hours. But sometimes the best thing is to just hang out with someone the whole day and just doing nothing maybe or <laughs> then doing something and like having time to just extend everything instead of it being really short and like drastic and doing seven things a day just doing one thing a day mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah being more than nature going mm -hmm. for long walks instead of just short walks mm -hmm. yeah that would be yeah. nice yeah yeah for me i think i would yeah a lot of the same things yeah. just do things slower um and be more creative um it's clear that creativity comes and free thinking comes out of boredom yeah. and having yeah having nothing going on bertrand russell actually makes this point in his essay called in praise of idleness which mm -hmm. is such a good really short read i highly recommend it um but he talks about how um like classical greek everything came out of um athens where the privileged class had so much leisure i mean of course they had leisure because they had slaves <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's also not good mm -hmm. but um But there is like a creative advantage to to having leisure. 
All right. So now we talked a lot about this term, like the works in the society, but could we just like take a brief moment to talk about what it actually means? Yeah, I think you summed it up really nicely with this pointing out how we use what do you do as synonymous with what is your role in the formal economy. So it's basically just referring to how work doesn't just affect your life when you are at work, but your life outside of work is greatly influenced by work and not just your own work but society's conception of work and all of the expectations around it yeah maybe like the thought of living to work and not working to live could maybe sum it up really nice i think that's a really unnatural way that we start living that it's not like usually the point is you take a job so you can get money to have a life outside of work but now we actually design our whole lives around working we do stuff so we can work better and be more productive and that's that's sort of insane in the long run but that's also because it should be a passion and that's sort of (laughs) yeah connects a lot this stupid narrative that we need to be passionate about what we do and therefore accept shitty working conditions but you really really bring up a good point here about living to work because outside of our working hours we find ourselves bringing that same productivist mindset into our everyday so Actually, I'll just give you an example mm. of this. So I had done this consulting, student consulting thing. It was, yeah. In the end, it ended up being like a very, just a CV booster for yeah. everyone. Like we didn't actually do anything. Mm. And at the final event where everyone was presenting, we had this motivational speaker, I guess he was supposed to be, come in and talk about how we can be more productive. Mm. And talked about how we should be meditating in order to be more productive. Mm. It was just such a backwards way of thinking about it. And so our activities outside of work are captured by this productivist mentality. And and so we end up just doing everything for the CV, like having network events instead of just parties like our social relations even become captured by this yeah uh, they become networking relations not like personal emotional relationships anymore yeah exactly yeah and also it's like meditation should be one of the things that should just be enough in itself because you focus your mind on one thing and you're just in it and it should be like an anti-movement towards the work culture but it's been used so much to like dealing with all the symptoms that may be coming from this working culture but it's also used to work better which seems exactly like a contradiction yeah it's it should be an end in it's in it of itself yes rather than a means to an end yeah especially not a means to a productive end right another point that you bring up that is so good is this responsibility that we place on the individual to Mm. to deal with these problems that are societal problems not individual problems so (laughs) we find all these self-help books and about time management Mm. or meditation or you know if you're stressed it's not because of your work it's not because of society's unreasonable expectations surrounding work but it's your fault you're not planning well enough or you're not eating right it's it's just a stupid way of um like putting a band-aid on an amputated leg you know definitely yeah so i think the stupid thing 
<laughs> I keep saying that the yeah. stupid th there's so many stupid yeah, things here. Stupid things um, really one of that. the stupid yeah. things is that we have the capacity to work less. And actually Keynes wrote this speech about like a letter to our grandchildren or something like mm -hmm. that where he predicted that we today would be working 15 hours a week. <laughs> well, that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. No. <laughs> no. Um so in fact with the industrial revolution increase in efficiency of production and especially now with automation we would expect that we would all be working less right mm. because it's self-explanatory yeah. um because we're more efficient but the problem is the work ethic prevailed and we're still working just as much if not more and so now we have a huge overworked middle class so a large wealth that is shared But no time for leisure, yeah. no time to actually enjoy the wealth. Yeah. So some call this the degradation of, mm -hmm. of leisure. You could also see the, the harried leisure class by Linder. So we see this productivist non-work behavior like we talked about. But we also see this um, this convenience culture where we don't have the, the time to, for example, cook a dinner. So we get fast food. Yeah. And what is that just? extra single-use plastic that's going to end up in the ocean. And then you also have this escapism culture where we don't have very much time in our everyday. So what do we do? We have these like two weeks of vacation. Yeah. We save up all of our money and then fly to Malaga and, you know, spend two weeks on a beach. Um, and this leads to ecological problems as well because we, we all know at this point that flying is not good. Yeah. And... And convenience culture isn't good for for no. the environment either because it's it's creating so much waste. Yeah, and also maybe like when Keynes uh, predicted that we're going to work 15 hours a week, he sort of maybe he thought we would have the same needs mm -hmm. for the same stuff, and then we would mm -hmm. automate a lot of those functions, and then we would work a lot less. But we've sort of like generated more work and a lot more consumption mm -hmm. that's also equal to identity and status and success so it's also a really bad circle of like creating a lot more of consumption options that we all want and need right and this consumer culture is exactly a product of this work-centered society because we also feel like we need to justify working so much so that's that's one reason why we like to buy things we're all trying to justify working so much by buying this crap that we don't need and in the end it doesn't make us happy <laughs> no not at all so yeah we have the ability to work less but we still work so much and i think a, a point to make that is super important to make is this marxist approach you can mm. take about self-exploitation and how we're kind of fed this hustle culture narrative and we buy into it like mm. this tg i am thank god it's monday kind of mentality that like wearing working a lot as a badge of honor yeah and it's something to be proud of and it's also you can also see it in our our society's addiction to caffeine especially our generation i mean i mentioned decaf to my uh, roommate the other day and the look in his face it was like that, that's not real coffee what yeah But i think it's symbolic of this addiction to work yeah and and it's marxist in the way that you can think okay for the benefit of whom right mm. where we kind of have this false consciousness of yeah. I'm saving the world through my work or I am my work, my work is my identity, while 
the firm owners are actually capitalizing on that and making way more money than you are. Yeah, a lot of people are actually making a lot of profit profit of people like internalizing this working ethic and this like I have to be busy all the time so I'm a more mm-hmm. productive worker, which is only on the like it's not for your profit. It's not that you make more money working a lot more overtime. It's actually yeah. the capitalists. Yeah. making all the money yeah and that's also why we feel so restless when we do have time because we go from working so much uh, and being told that you know being busy is something to be proud of and then when we stop working it's like whoa whoa we well what do i have i'm kind of embarrassed that i'm not doing xyz and while everyone else is doing xyz And yeah, of course you're going to feel restless when you're so used to doing things all the time. So I encourage people who who suddenly go from studying to not studying or from working to not working to sit in it for a little bit yeah. and know that it's going to be uncomfortable in the beginning. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I think like people can become really unhappy when they lose a job or stop studying. Like they go from that overworking, being really productive all the time and then doing nothing And like not feeling like they have a purpose because usually a job or study or something is like the main purpose of our daily lives. And then who are you when you're not doing that? Like I yeah. think there's a really big mismatch between those two things, which is sort of sad because you should also be more than just your work or study or something. But uh, this is one of the really huge trade-offs about working. Mm-hmm. But do you see any other trade-offs that you've experienced from your study? Um, I think... We've touched on a lot of um, ecological yeah. problems at already, like this cycle of production and overconsumption and convenience culture, escapism, mm. and all of that leading to resource exploitation, pollution, climate change emissions, and so on. Um, I think two other social problems associated with work that I would like to address is, is that This work culture also leads to massive unemployment Mm. because we have people that are overworking, taking all of the hours. Mm. It's not the Mexicans stealing our jobs. (laughs) It's the people working 120 hours a week, which there were some in my study working 120 hours a week. And then others not working at all. So we have a lot of unemployment and we also have this creation of what's called bullshit jobs, which David Graeber writes about and where we just create these meaningless jobs for the sake of job creation. Mm. But there are, it's such a one-track-minded way of thinking about it. Like, okay, we have unemployment, so that means we need more jobs, right? Instead of rethinking the way we structure work, for example, job sharing, yeah. just working less also. Yeah. The problem is just we have this idea of work being sacred. Yeah. So... That's one social problem. The other social problem I want to mention is that we have what's called the adult worker model, Mm. which is a reorientation of the welfare state, meaning that adults are expected to take paid employment in order to have these benefits of a that a welfare state would normally provide. So for example, part-time workers don't have the same rights as Mm. full-time workers. Yeah, that's also a huge problem. And what what is that logic? Like, we are still the same people yeah. with the same needs. But why are we valued less just because we work 38 hours instead of 39? Yeah. And and what about single mothers, yeah. too, that, of course, need to work part-time? Yeah. 
impossible to do anything else. Yeah. So we're here to talk about your thesis. What's it about? Yeah, so, I mean, tonight we've just been talking a lot about how work time takes over and yeah. how it colonizes our life. And that led me to the thought, okay, well, if work time is colonizing our life, maybe it's affecting our health behavior. Yeah. For example, if we're working long hours and health clinics are only open nine to five, but you're working nine to five, how, mm. you know, that's going to affect your ability to go, I don't know, get, get your uh, prostate checked. <laughs> yeah. So... The behavior that I looked at was frequency of physical exercise. Yeah. So the hypothesis is that the more you work, the less you exercise. And it's kind of an intuitive logic. The more you're at work, the less time you have to do non-work activities. Yeah. But another reason to look at this relationship is that stress levels also affect our abilities to do things. Um, including exercise and when we're working a lot we're stressed so yeah um i explored the relationship between work time and physical exercise using a statistical analysis and ordered logistic regression using cross-sectional data and it's a european analysis using the european quality of life survey cool why did you choose europe like a european analysis um, well, honestly, it was to kind of stay relevant in Europe yeah. since I'm planning on staying in Europe. Um, sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Mom. Um, but also because health behavior is a huge, uh, or more like health risk behavior is a huge problem in Europe. There are very high rates of tobacco and alcohol consumption, or prevalence, sorry, very high prevalence of tobacco and alcohol consumption, and obesity. Mm. Actually, in 2016, it's estimated that 790,000 people in the EU died prematurely because of tobacco, alcohol, unhealthy diet, and lack of physical activity. And the main causes of death in Europe are circulatory diseases like heart attacks and strokes and cancers. And that makes up... 60% of the total deaths, which is a lot. And the thing about those causes of death is that they can be prevented with preventive health mm. behavior, like physical exercise. <laughs> um, another reason to study Europe is that there's a really high prevalence of sedentary work. Mm. It's 39% of workers that are working sitting down. Mm. So that's, that's yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of people overworking too. 20% of my study participants that recorded work time were working over 48 hours per week, which is considered overwork um, yeah, I would say. by EU standards. Yeah. <laughs> and also my standards. Yeah, by everyone's standards. <laughs> so yeah, this question of lifestyle is really important in Europe um, in order to prevent disease and premature death. And I, I decided to just choose one preventive health behavior. Yeah. And I guess you've done a lot of research before, like writing this thesis. What have other researchers found out about this topic? Has there been any other research about this topic? Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of other angles to approach this question yeah. of work. You can measure work intensity 
by measuring shift work. Mm -hmm. So working these graveyard shifts yeah. <laughs> um, or unpredictable shifts, for example. You can measure levels of work time control. So how much autonomy someone has over deciding when to work mm -hmm. and how to work. Um, then you have other job intensity measures like work overload and, and, and so on so it's not just the amount of hours that make the difference and the literature shows that it's not just long working hours that have adverse effects but it's also these other measures so there is research on the effect of long working hours on health but it's more health outcomes than mm -hmm. health behavior yeah and even less research on physical exercise and how did you choose to approach and answer this research question which is really interesting. Well, thanks for saying that. <laughs> yeah, First of all, it's of it's a super dry analysis. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I also couldn't use some of this juicy theoretical stuff because um, it's a correlational study, not a causal study, mm. because I use cross-sectional data instead of longitudinal data. Um Yeah, so I approach this as a correlational study, basically. Controlling for all that good stuff like age, sex, um, country of residence, education, income, occupation. And then I also added perceived free time, perceived health, and your household size. Hmm. So what wouldn't be surprising is if your household size affected your behavior. No, for sure. That makes sense. <laughs> if I've got 10 kids, you can bet I'm not <laughs> exercising. Yeah, <laughs> that would make sense. I have yeah. 10 kids and I work out every day. So what did you find out from your research? What were your results? Well, the results indicated what I had expected, that there is indeed a negative relationship between work, time, and frequency of physical exercise. Mm. And that means that the more hours individuals work, the less likely they are to participate in physical exercise or sports. Um, and more specifically, what I found out was that working longer hours decreases the odds of frequent physical exercise by 17%. That's quite a lot. Yeah, another way of interpreting the results is by using a binary A response variable which measures yes or no to the condition if participants exercise at least once a week and I figured out that working longer hours decreases the odds of exercising at least once a week by 19% mm. um, I also calculated the predicted probabilities of weekly physical exercise for each work time group mm. and yeah as predicted with each increase in work time group uh, the probability of exercising at least once a week decreases mm. so for example the low work group which works zero to 21 hours a week has a predicted probability of 51.5 percent whereas overworkers that are working over 48 hours a week have a predicted probability of 40 percent And then on top of that, I also had some interesting uh, results from the covariate analysis. So things like education, age, and sex, and so on. Um, one thing that really stood out to me was that males had a much higher probability and likelihood of exercising frequently. And that also is backed up by the existing mm. studies, but also it's kind of intuitive too because... Yeah. We live in a society where we are telling men they they need to, you know, be ripped. And, yeah. Um, 
And also maybe females have more household responsibilities. Another interesting variable that I measured was occupation. And those included professionals, clerical support workers, service workers, sales workers, agricultural, forestry, fishery workers, um, craft and trades workers, and many others. And basically, the ones that were statistically significant were um, managers, professionals, elementary occupations, which is any occupation which doesn't require much education, and armed forces. And all of those had a positive association except for elementary occupations, which I thought was interesting. That also kind of just makes sense because elementary occupations tend to be more physical. So if you're more physical at work, it makes sense that you're less physical when you're not at work. Um, and then it also makes very much sense that armed forces has a positive association since it kind of breeds this culture of, yeah, physical fitness. And actually, it was kind of extreme how uh, how strong of an association armed for the armed forces occupation had. Uh, just for example, the predicted probability for exercising at least once a week was let's see, let's take a comparison with with managers. It was fifty one percent, but with armed forces, it was sixty percent. And sixty percent was honestly the highest probability that I had seen across the board. Um, income also had a positive association. Not surprising. That's also what the literature says. Yeah. The more income you have, the mm. greater the likelihood of frequent exercise. And that also just makes sense because, I mean, if you have, um, if you're good financially, you have less stress. And when you have less stress, you're capable of doing more things. Uh, one more thing I'd like to mention is is education because education had a positive association but kind of very surprisingly um, a very strong association so just for example uh, one unit increase in education grouping so from primary to second education we can expect an almost double increase in the odds of high physical exercise and then from primary to tertiary which is getting a university degree um, that's that's almost a triple increase in the log odds of high frequency of physical exercise. That's a lot. But yeah. that also makes a lot of sense. Like if you have higher education, maybe you've learned more about mm. exercise, but also you maybe have more sitting down <laughs> work. So you actually have to exercise. Mm. So like from this research and this talk that we had uh, about this subject like what are your hopes for the future what do you think could change or could happen what do you want to happen um well just from an academic point mm. of view i think it would be nice it would be beneficial to society i think to include more systemic barriers to mm. health behavior when when conducting this research because right now there's just such an individual focus in society with these self-help books yeah. and but also in the academic world too um that fortunately is changing i think in the past couple of decades we have more of a recognition in academia that there are socio-environmental barriers that we need to consider mm -hmm. when we're modeling behavior uh, but yeah it just needs to continue and um And yeah, I personally am for for work time reduction, if you couldn't tell. Yes, really. <laughs> um, I obviously could not 
talk about that in my in my thesis because it's a correlational study. It's yeah. there was no causal inference that could imply um, some political change. So, um, but me myself, <laughs> I am in favor of work time reduction for ecological reasons, but also socio mm. um, social reasons. I just hope that we can have more creative discussions about um, about the revaluation of work and what it actually brings us because mm. to me it brings us a lot of unhappiness it brings us a lot of environmental destruction it brings us a lot of mental um what's the word strife <laughs> and um and i think we just need to be more innovative and more critical yeah i think that's what i yeah. would say yeah cool. <laughs> But I believe in it. I'm I'm hopeful. I think I think people are starting to consider these post-work imaginaries. Mm. Yeah, and hopefully it will be possible to break that more once more, like the working more once more consumption, which leads to more environmental damage, that people stop to think about this question. And then maybe it can change this cycle and ideology about work, mm -hmm. which is basically is it's like this work ethic that hopefully can be changed. Yeah. And and a, an appreciation for leisure. Yeah. And real leisure, yeah. not this uh, productivist leisure which is not leisure. No. But a leisure where we can we have the mental capacity to to be creative and be patient with one another and appreciative of all these little tiny things in mm. life. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I guess that was it for today. We had a really interesting <laughs> discussion. <laughs> yeah, it was super interesting. Thank you for yeah, that. Thank you. <laughs> um, you've been listening to Inequality Talks, a podcast by Mellemfolk i Samvirke Aarhus. And you should come down to our cafe here in Mejlgade 53 mm. um, and drink a cup of coffee at our lovely cafe. We'll probably be here. <laughs> we'll probably be here to have a discussion about work time if you want. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. And also go follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find Mellemfolk i Samvirke Aarhus. Until next time. <laughs>